This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, yes you, the listener, through the podcast Patreon page that you can find by clicking the link in this episode's description. However, if supporting the podcast financially is not a possibility, that's totally fine too, especially if you are an Apple Podcast or iTunes listener, because you can leave the show a rating and a review. It's important with the way iTunes works, helps other people find the show and helps the show continue to grow. So please leave a rating and review. Um, there's another option by Stitcher, which also allows you to do that. And uh, don't forget, there are other ways of listening to the show if you're not an Apple Podcast or iTunes listener by heading on over to Google Play. Uh, like I said, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and wherever else you get your podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. And lastly, I highly encourage you to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com to read me at Medium uh, and to follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and to go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Hopefully you're still with me because this is the end of me rambling. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. My name is Chase Thomas, and I am joined this evening by Scott Rafferty, who is an associate editor at the Step Back and a contributing writer at uh, Sporting News. And um, Let's see. We're we're. I was gonna keep saying. I I was just thinking about our conversation with Rolling Stone and everything else, and I was like, Rolling Stone, Dime <laughs> Up Rocks. Like, eh. I I'm familiar more with Scott with the the sporting news pieces that he does all the time that I very much love that uh, do deep dives into different specific things going on in the NBA, and then of course your great work at the Step Back. But anyway, Scott, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Um, so the Portland Trailblazers are running away with the number three seed, just like we all expected they would do in the Western Conference before the season, that they would uh, be the ones to fall right behind the Portland, I mean, uh, the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors. Uh, I'm just kidding. I don't think any of us saw this coming, but the Blazers are doing it. Are uh, Like, how have they won six straight? Why are they doing so well right now? Uh, the, the easy answer is, uh, Damian Lillard decided that he wanted to make a run MVP and it's just been on another level over the last, what is it? Eight, eight games now. Um, he's averaging 33.1 points, 5.8 assists and 4.1 rebounds over the last eight games, uh, shooting 42% from three and making four threes a game. Um, he's just been out of control. Um, and it's more than the numbers, you know, he, they've taken care of business against, um, teams that were ahead of them in the standings and teams that they should be beating. Um, <clears throat> Damian Lillard has just gone off in, the, in crunch time in several of those games. Uh, I mean, the Lakers game the other night was insane. He came down and just hit four consecutive threes, all of them very high, high level of difficulty. 
Um, and you know, that's, that's what you expect from an MVP type of guy. And that's, that's, that's exactly how he's playing right now. Yeah. I mean, the 33, six and four numbers that he's putting up over this stretch has just been insane. If you've been watching like some of the moves, I mean, obviously if you're on basketball Twitter, you've seen, uh, we did Alonzo the other night, which was very rude, but he's just like, he, some of the shots that he's pulling up from are Steph Curry like, but he's never going to be are, as yeah. efficient as Steph Curry, but he plays a really similar style and it's fun. And even though he's not as good as Steph Curry, Damian Lillard going off like this is a lot of fun. And I think it's it's something where it's like, I don't know if it's complete. I, I don't think he's shooting 40, 42% from three for the rest of the season, but he is just like, it, it's just, you could just see that he is taking his game to another level and he's just tired of like basically flirting with the bottom half of the Western conference playoff picture. And it's kind of cool to see him kind of have a coming out party and just like say, you know what? I am bringing us to the top half. We're getting home court advantage. We're getting back to where we were when we had Aldridge and, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to see. It is. And especially, you know, I think it was like a couple of months ago when that report came out that he went to um, team management was basically like, something along the lines of, you know, like I'm committed to this organization, but we need to build something. Like I want this, yeah. I want to compete for a championship. I don't want to just get complacent and kind of compete for these, you know, six to eight seeds in the West every single year. Um, and that could have gone one of two ways. It could have gone that, that information comes out and Damian doesn't live up to that. And then it kind of reflects badly on him or it goes this way, which is he's been playing like one of the best players in the league over the last, uh, especially over the last two weeks. But even though, even since like the end of January, he's been, um, playing at an MVP type level, um, and I mean the results speak for themselves, right? They're the third seed. I think five thirty-eight still projects them to be the third seed, even though they have one of the tougher um, end of season schedules. Um, so I mean, man, I mean, like Ben Golden made a good point on um, the Sports Illustrated podcast today, in that we need to kind of stop treating this the number three seed in the West like it's you know this incredible feat because there's only a few games separating three from nine, um, which is very true because all these teams are so far behind the top two. Um, But even then, like, like like what you were saying at the start, nobody expected the Blazers to be the number one, three, number three seed um, at any point this season. And if they finish the season at that, regardless of what their record is, um, that's a huge accomplishment and a testament to just how incredible Damian Lillard has been. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, like Ben Golliver, who has a lot of history with the Blazers, I think he started at Blazers Edge and then uh, yeah. Sports Illustrated now, but uh, he is very good at putting <laughs> cold, dropping cold water on these kind of situations. But I will say, I think even though it's clear that they still are significantly below the Rockets and the Warriors, them breaking through over the Thunder, over the Timberwolves, over the Spurs, I think that still should be something worth talking about and worth like commending, even though, yeah, we're not going to take them over the Rockets or the Warriors come playoff time. But at the same time, it's a huge feat for this team specifically to get the number three seed and just kind of take that next step because also it helps them next summer and it helps their future where it's like they now can show prospective free agents that you can win here and that, um, you already have McCollum. You have Zach Collins, who is we can talk about too, who is starting to turn into a, a real a real thing. 
uh, he was a lottery guy and we were pretty down on him early this season and just his post-ups and everything else where it looked like, oh, is this a Kaminsky situation where this is not going to work and they're going to really regret um, taking this guy. But he's shooting threes. He looks like someone who can uh, maybe be a stretch five for them down the stretch and could be really valuable um, in the future. So we'll see. But I think more than anything, it's just like they are number seven in defense this year. And that's incredible considering all the talk about the Blazers the last couple of years has been, can you build a strong defense when you have a backcourt consisting of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Terry Stotts has shown that, yeah, you can. Yeah. I mean, they, they've, this team, this team is, I don't know if they've popped out. Like, I, I don't know if this is uh, the best they're going to be. Um, or if they've reached that potential because, you know, like Yusuf, Yusuf Nurkic hasn't been as good as he was last season. Um, you know, they do still have some pieces on that team that can improve. Um, but it's still, so in that sense, like I still think that future is not necessarily as bright as it uh, may seem. Um, but again, like as long as you have Damian Lillard, especially the way that he's playing right now, I mean, like this is a playoff team every single year at this rate. Um, and that means something. And then, you know, this happens and suddenly they're number three seed and you, you carry that and you see as far as uh, you see as, you know, however far it can take. Um, Cause they could get a favorable matchup in the first round. Maybe they get the Timberwolves and Jimmy Butler is not back. Um, not that I know if they'd be the Timberwolves in that situation still, but you know, like maybe they do. And then they get to the second round and they get another favorable match. I, I don't know, but um, you know, this is the reason that you kind of keep teams together, even though they're playoff teams and, they're not as good as like the Raptors, for example, which have been, you know, in the same kind of situation and every single year they're a playoff team, they can never kind of break through. Um, but I mean, you never know. Yeah. And I mean, I guess my thing is like, when you look at their roster, you just think if they can turn, like they're paying $27 million. Actually, we can even go up. They're paying $36 million to Evan Turner, Mo Harkless and Myers Leonard. Not great. Yeah. But at the same time, if you can find ways in the next couple of years to move that money, I mean, they won big on Shabazz Napier. He has been just a great third guard for them and has played critical minutes for them. Ed Davis is still awesome, and he'll always be one of my favorite third bigs. But I am I think that there's still room for them to figure things out. And I think now you can definitely say we can keep McCollum and Lillard for the next couple of years, this duo may not be the perfect match, but the fact that we have been able to figure things out on the defensive end with this duo is huge for them. So maybe you try and figure out, okay, who are the potential wings that are going to come available in the next year or two? And you just wait kind of like what the Rockets did when they waited to find Harden the right pieces. Just keep, I, I, they just got to be more careful with these years and these contracts because Leonard's got three years on his deal and Evan Turner three years. And it's just like, if those were one or two year deals, like I maybe be more excited about this team's immediate future. But at the same time, I think Neil O'Shea is a really good general manager and there's still room to kind of wiggle around a little bit and see if like, <laughs> I mean, it's, this is a pipe dream, but like the Kawhi stuff, like that, what that shows us though, is you never know which superstar be- is going to become disgruntled and be annoyed. And like, Anthony Davis, great example. Someone who Lillard is now just like, I'm tired of Anthony Davis getting all this credit for doing a bunch with less and I'm going to have my own MVP like run. And, you know, I think it's 
interesting that uh, Lillard is going off the way he is and that, you know, I think if you're a disgruntled star wing player or even a big, I think you're looking at the Blazers right now like, why wouldn't I want to go to Portland and play with these guys? And I think that's why it's going to be fascinating to see what they do with Nurkic because, you know, after they trade, he was fantastic for them when they acquired him last season um, before he got injured and everything like that. Um, and he just kind of, he hasn't been the same player this season for whatever reason. Um, and I think at his peak, he's the kind of player that um, can kind of lighten the load for Lillard and McCollum because he can um, create his own shot. He hasn't done well this year, but he's kind of the type of player who can kind of create his own shot out of the post. Um, but he can also complement them in ways that means he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands all the time um, by being a strong pick and roll big. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, Anthony Davis, someone like that, I don't know if they could ever pull that off. Um, but he'd be the kind of example of, like, the perfect big man who will complement Damian Lillard and McCollum without taking their touches away, but also being the type of guy who can, like, lift that team to new heights. Um, because you're right. It's, I mean, it's the, it's the Kyrie situation, too, right? When no one knew Kyrie was going to become available, um, yep. they re- request a trade and then suddenly the Celtics have him and then that completely changes the timeline for both teams. Um, so that's why I think the Nurkic thing is going to be interesting because he's free, he can sign a contract this season if I'm correct. Um, the money has dried up so he's probably, I mean I remember when Bobby Marks put that, that, that piece out for ESPN a while ago um, his lead was that uh, my Leonard, the backup center for the Blazers is probably going to get a bigger contract in the starting sense for the, for the Blazers right now. Because um, <laughs> that's, just, that's just where it is right now. Um, so, I, I, you know, if they can get him on a good deal, maybe you keep him. Um, maybe they feel confident enough in Zach Collins that they don't uh, think they need to bring him back. I don't know. But I think that's going to be... Because um, they already have a lot of money committed to their roster next season. I think they have about $109 million, uh, if I'm correct. $109 million committed to their roster right now. Um, so either way, if they don't don't resign him, that doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room to to sign someone else to free agency. Um, but if you lock him up, maybe you trade him out enough. So I, I'm fascinated to see what happens there. But if you're Paul George, like all this talk has been about OKC or LA. If you're Paul George, why do you not look at the Blazers and go, you know what? Like what? How good could this team be if I am on the perimeter and helping flank Lord and McCollum? Like could they go on like a Rockets like run where they become like a 60 plus win team and actually like be a real problem? Like if you have Lillard McCollum, um, Paul George Aminu, and then like a Zach Collins who continues to grow, like that's interesting. I don't think it's going to beat the Warriors, but like that's a Western conference semifinal team at the very least. I I just think when you look at these guys that are potential options for them, like I, I just, I don't know, man, like I would, if I'm a prospective free agent or I'm an annoyed star, like maybe the best option is like Aaron Gordon this summer because it doesn't seem like the Orlando Magic are going to bring him back, but he is restricted. But if I'm Portland, that's who I'm probably targeting. Like the most realistic option is going after the Orlando intriguing pieces and yeah. uh, maybe make like, what would Aaron Gordon look like on this team? I think it'd be fun. I think he'd actually gel pretty well. And who knows, maybe just adding another lottery pick into that group. We'll see how that, I mean, Kent Bazemore is still um, around there in Atlanta and who knows how much longer he'll be there, but like there's options and I just want to see this team continue to add. And it's just kind of cool to see that they have stuck with this Lillard McCollum dynamic and it, you know, 
maybe Terry Stotts deserves some more love for Coach of the Year because getting this group to be top ten in defensive efficiency, eh, in defis- defensive efficiency <laughs> is uh, pretty impressive because everyone was convinced for a while that that was not going to happen. I think the I, I agree. I think he does does some well for it. I still think it's going to come down to like Casey and Stevens, um, just because. I mean, I, I think they have the strongest cases when you look at look at both of them. Um, yeah. But you're right. I mean, it, 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 he has done a spectacular job um, to to kind of put them in the position where they are right now. Um, and unless anything, I mean, unless he goes terribly wrong over the next 15 and 20 games or something, they, I mean, they should they should have home court advantage in the playoffs, and that's the, that's a huge success of this team. Who have you been more impressed by in the last month or so, Davis or Lillard? Um, I think they've been, I, I think they've performed pretty much very similar. Um, yeah. I've probably been a bit more impressed by Davis just because, um, you know, they lost to Mark Cousins. Uh, I think everyone counted out the Pelicans, uh, when that happened. And then he's just kind of put this team on his back. Also, Drew Holiday has been fantastic during the stretch, but I just generally mm-hmm. think the fact that the Pelicans lost, you know, their second best player, um, to a season-ending injury, and they've somehow been better over the last, or they've far exceeded anyone's expectations over the last um, month and a half because of Anthony Davis. Like I think I'd give it to him, um, but that's obviously no discredit to Lillard. He's just—I I think he's been pretty much just as good. It's just different circumstances. That's fair. I—I'm—I guess I, man, it's tough because I go back and forth on this, but I tend to think Davis's runs more impressive. But at the same time, Lillard's still getting so much attention drawn at him. And for him to just still get 33, 6, and 4 with just how much teams are trying to take him out of the game is just pretty amazing because he has the ball in his hands just a lot more than Davis. And he's doing a lot more and a lot's on his shoulders and he has risen to the occasion. So Lillard, I, I, I love it. I'm glad that we have more Western Conference superstars like that are really kind of breaking through. And it's cool. It's good for the NBA that Anthony Davis is figuring things out and really just going to another level. And Damian Lillard's going to another level. And it's kind of helping people forget that CJ McCollum's kind of had a down year in a lot of respects. So um, it's pretty fascinating. But my favorite thing about the Blazers, and um, then we can change gears, but they, uh, according to Second Spectrum, they are the best at not allowing teams to get good shots, which... I thought was interesting because they're, if you look at their defensive numbers, nothing really jumps off the page, especially in their defensive four factors and all that kind of stuff. But they just are, what that tells me is that they're just really well coached and that these guys just are going to, they just know how to play defense. They know how to like, okay, this is a shot worth really contesting and going at, and we're not allowing anything easy. And sometimes maybe that's just enough in basketball. It's just like, we're not giving you the good looks but uh, we're going to make every trip down the floor difficult, even though we know we're not going to be an expert defensive rebounding team. We're not going to be an expert team at uh, forcing turnovers and this, that, and the other, but we will make sure (laughs) that you do not get good looks, great open corner threes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think um, I I don't think in the NBA, like EFA is the underlying reason why defense is good or anything, but I think it can make up for a lot of weaknesses on a roster. Um, if you have everyone one through five locked in uh, and you have guys who are going to put forth the effort and bring it every single night. Um, and it helps me have guys like Ed Davis too, who only know how to play one way. And that's 
come off the bench extremely hard, attack every single board. Um, you know, like that energizes teams and that keeps everyone locked in. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't looked into their defense stuff um, enough to kind of, you know, understand what the difference is from last season. Like I haven't locked in uh, in that kind of sense, but either way, I mean, what they've been doing is super impressive. I thought you were about to drop a little bit of subtle, nice Scott slander at my guy, Ed Davis, and I was about to get really upset, but I appreciate <laughs> you making it sound good that he's a one-way player. That's the nicest way of saying a guy does not try on defense. Um, so I appreciate hey, I, I, you taking it easy on him. Hey, I like Ed Davis. I like him. Ed I, Davis I, I mean, is great. He's the kind of guy you want in your team, right? Like he... He plays super hard. He he does the little things. He does the dirty things, and that that stuff matters. That shows up. He's Julius Randall ten years later. Interesting. I think Julius Randall has way too much of a scorer's mentality to be like that, but like similar kind of things. Yeah. Well, I just think it's like the offensive first big, third big, we should say, that is really good at just doing a lot of little things. Like you're never going to put them in your starting lineup. You never want them to really close, but they're still a valuable piece to good teams so like i think julius randall and ed davis will always have like 15 like at bare minimum like a 16.5 per like their career averages on that front i feel like are going to be identical but we'll see speaking of julius randall and the los angeles lakers how do you feel about the lakers and uh their latest run they're 17 and 8 since january 6th yeah they've been super fun i mean Speaking of Julius Randle, I think he's been uh, during that win streak or something. He basically averaged like twenty ten and five. Um, he's having a great season. Uh, Brandon Ingram has made a nice little leap this season. He's he, you know he's improved a lot of playmaker both for himself um, and his teammates. His passing has come along quite nicely. Uh, and Lonzo Ball has really progressed as the season's gone on. Um, he got off to a rough start, obviously, but you know he he stuck with it. The Lakers stuck with it and. Now he's basically playing the way that everyone kind of projected him to be coming to the NBA. Uh, so when you put all that together, like they're, they're a fun young team. They, you know, and they, they're not quite there yet in terms of being a playoff team or anything, but they're showing signs of, of kind of reaching that level. Lonzo looks confident. I don't know what's clicked since yeah. coming back from his injury, but like just the way he's playing and just, I mean, I watched him in Atlanta a few weeks ago and just had him hitting shots and him just, it's fun and it's captivating and like his release still looks completely bizarre, but it, when it hits and he's on, it's just, you can see how he's just going to play down the the next couple of years and just what kind of player he's going to turn into. But it's a, uh, it's a valuable one. I don't think it's necessarily ever going to be a star type role, but he is definitely looking like a solid role player that is figuring things out. And you know, there's been a lot of jokes about Isaiah Thomas, but he's actually been really decent for this team i he's shooting well again on the lakers um like i don't know if he's gonna resign there this offseason or what's gonna happen with isaiah but he's actually been okay and him getting to la was good i think for him and um yeah seeing what i like he's basically i think averaging around 21 and 7 for them but uh very different isaiah than what we saw in cleveland for the first half of the year yeah definitely he i, I think it's just a matter of I mean, I think it's the right situation for him because he gets to spread his wings a little bit. He kind of gets to to play in an up and down system that lets him kind of be more like the player he was last year. I think um, I think he had a lot of potential to fit in well with LeBron and the Cavaliers and everything. 
Um, but there's no denying, like playing playing with LeBron, if you fit in well with him, is incredible. Um, but if you don't fit in well with him, it can be very difficult because of the way that he plays and the way that he handles the ball um, and how the offense runs entirely through him. Um, you can you could see that with Isaiah. Not that it helped him coming back from such a big injury, but um, he never kind of established a rhythm in Cleveland. And then now you look in the Lakers, he hasn't even been playing that that long, but he looks a completely different player. Um, so I think yeah, I think you're right in terms of like rehabbing his his reputation and everything before he hits free agency. I think this was the best thing that could happen to him. Not that I think, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see which teams are, are you know, are interested in him and maybe offer him a contract and everything um, and kind of what role they envision. But um, this is probably the best case scenario for him right now. Okay, two questions. One, where do you think Isaiah should sign? And two, is there, should the Lakers be proactive and like re-signing him, maybe paying him a lot more, but giving him like a one-year, another one-year deal, but a bunch of money up front and, just uh, not because uh, there's been so much weird stuff with the Lakers free agency rumors, especially this offseason, that they're kind of already backing off, even though they will have two max slots. And obviously, Isaiah is not getting a max contract this summer. But uh, I do wonder if, like, it's a good idea to bring him back on another one year deal. I mean, he's making six million this year, but uh, we don't really know what he's going to take. It's it's a pretty confusing, um, odd situation with Isaiah. But uh, one, would you re-sign him if you're the Lakers to like a one-year deal? And two, where do you think makes the most sense? Because I do have one spot that's always made sense to me for Isaiah. Uh, in terms of uh, for the Lakers, um, I think, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think they should rule it out. And I think depending on how this offseason goes and what kind of contract he's trying to get and what contract he's getting offered, I think the Lakers should definitely be, you know, open to the idea of bringing him back. Um, because, I mean, he's not going to start. That's the thing, right? And I think he wants to start. Um, I think he still has in mind that he's just, you know, starting with a point guard on a playoff team and everything like this. Um, and he's not he's not going to get that position with the Lakers because Lonzo Ball is going to start a point guard um, unless, you know, they, they decide to turn him into a shooting guard. But then you're going to have a lot of problems defensively and everything like that. Um, so I think, you know, as a sixth man off the bench, not that that's probably what he wants to look for at this stage in his career. Uh, if that's where the Lakers kind of, give him like a J.J. Reddick kind of deal, um, just paying a lot of money in one year. I don't think that's a bad situation for him or the Lakers. Uh, in terms of what team he should go to, um, I don't think I have anyone in mind in particular because this, I mean, looking at the standings from top to bottom, there are so many teams that have um, either a starting point guard that they want to develop in the future, a starting point guard that's helping them now, or someone like the Pacers, for example, who have Victor Oladipo, who while he's not a point guard, he is the primary ball handler on that team. And I think if you put um, Isaiah Thomas next to him, then you're kind of taking away what Victor Oladipo does so well. Um, so I'm interested to see to hear what team you have in mind. All right. I'm kind of cheating, but I've had a team in the West and the East, and then I'm going to throw my wild card. All right. Okay. The West team that makes the most sense, <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder. He's got to accept coming off the bench, but if you put him that's why they drafted campaign because they in like they've been looking for their hardened replacement ever since he left jeremy lamb obviously wasn't it but isaiah if he's willing to accept that he's never going to be the isaiah of boston and you put him on that team and he signs to a realistic deal because they're never going to have depth go ahead and cancel that dream out if you're an okc fan your your team as long as you have carmelo stephen adams russell westbrook andre robertson 
and Paul George, not going to have depth. But what you can have is one more piece off the bench that carries their second unit that if Melo's not going to go to the second unit and they're not going to start P-Pet, sign Isaiah this offseason and then go into next year with Isaiah off the bench, a healthy Robertson, Paul George maybe back in the fold, and then Melo. That team is way more interesting. And Isaiah as the third guard in OKC I think would be great. East. The Detroit Pistons is the Eastern Conference team for Isaiah. Like they are still a desperate team. He's coached small point guard. Shout to Jameer. I think Stan would utilize Isaiah in a really helpful way. I think Detroit's like the most likely team to offer him a lot of money. Even their their cap situation is abysmal, so I don't know how it would work. Shout out to Duncan Smith getting in a cap Twitter war with uh, Pistons legend <laughs> and Knicks legend <laughs> Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> but... uh that seems like something if they can find a way to move some contracts to bring in Isaiah, I could see it because Reggie Jackson still not been healthy and that's just torpedoed their season trying to rely on Blake and Drummond to keep their offense afloat with these backup point guards like Ish Smith. And they're not even playing like St. Galloway, which will always just baffle me. Cause I just got a thing, right? You, you, you I, love him. I love him. He's so good. He's all his numbers are always great. His on off is great. He shoots threes. He's long. He can defend. I don't understand why teams refuse to let Langston Galloway be your backup point guard. Like he's he's good. He should play. And uh my wild card. <clears throat> this is my favorite one, I think. <laughs> my wild card. It's the Knicks. And this moves into the next conversation that I wanted to touch on. If you're moving Frankie Smokes to shooting guard, that opens up a spot because young AI, Trey Burke, is not your point guard of the future. As much as he try, he tries to look like Allen Iverson. And uh, you know what? Shout out to him because it, it's working. The guy has got the sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's incredible. Um, So that's cool. Nice career, little renaissance in New York. He's a fine third guard. But... If you're moving Nilakina and just the way he plays and his size and frame and everything else, Isaiah next to him, like it's the Knicks, so nothing will end well. But, you know, I, I could see it. And Isaiah would be fun in MSG. A healthy Isaiah with KP. I don't know. It's my favorite wild, wild card spot, especially if you're going to move Nilakina over to the two long term. I, I, I just throw I a lot like- at you. <laughs> I think I like the Knicks the most because I, I think he, the Thunder and the, uh, the Pistons, I think the Pistons would be an interesting situation for as well. Although I, I have a hard time believing anything's going to work with the Pistons right now because just no matter what they do, it just doesn't seem to quite click. Um, and I don't know if Isaiah Thompson is going to be that kind of like missing piece of the puzzle. Um, but I mean, I think that's interesting. The only problem with those two teams is that they are basically, I mean, the Thunder have the Thunder have nearly 140 million dollars committed to their roster next season. Oh, um, that's with that's with Melo, I believe, except uh, opting in, um, and Paul George coming back on 20 million. He has to make more than that. So they they I mean they're fully capped out. Um, the Pistons have about 114 million committed to their roster. Um, so. I mean, if the Pistons wanted to pull it off, I think you're right. They'd have to trade like Reggie Jackson or something like that. Maybe there's a sign and trade they can do. Um, the Knicks is interesting because you're right. They don't have a point guard. Um, well, if, if 
you know, Frankie is not going to be their point guard. Um, the Knicks is just a tricky situation because they're kind of towing the line between developing uh, a team that can compete in a few years' time um, and trying to compete right now. And I think, you know, if you sign Isaiah Thomas, um, you're kind of trying to move towards that competing now line. Um, and if, you know, Paul Zingas is going to miss half the season or whatever, um, I don't know. But you're right, it would be fun. I mean, Isaiah Thomas playing in New York, um, having the ball back in his hands again, being able to do whatever he wants to run the offense and everything. It would definitely be fun. I just don't know if it's quite the move the Knicks need. Um, but then again, who knows? The Knicks seem to make uh, interesting decisions every, every every now and then. So who knows? Do you think there is any chance that he re-signs in LA to like a really team-friendly one-year bet-on-himself contract? I mean, I think it all depends on what why everyone else is offering him. Because, I mean, again, like, look down, look from top to bottom of the standings, um, how many teams need a point guard right now, um, especially one like Isaiah Thomas, who, I, I, I mean, I'm very high on Isaiah Thomas, but he's a ball-dominant point guard um, who is an MVP caliber player when he's at his best, and whether or not he can reach that point again, we don't know. Um, but I just don't think there's many teams right now who either want that kind of player um, because they've already have a point guard in place, or they don't even have the salary cap to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like so many teams are capped out um, that unless they can sign them on a very team friendly deal, like OKC is what you said, by still they can do it. But if a team like that could do it, then yeah, it makes total sense. Um, so I do wonder if it's going to be uh, like like you mentioned and what I said before. It's like this Jay theoretic kind of deal, uh, where it's just one year, twenty twenty five million dollars. I just don't know where that's coming from as well. Oh um, yeah, no. twenty million for Isaiah at this point would be pretty amazing. Well, yeah, given sad, the, but the situation, it would be yeah, amazing. yeah. I mean, the landscape is different now compared to the last off season. Um, there's a lot less money going around, so he's not going to make that much, I wouldn't think. But that kind of thing, um, just a, a big contract for one year. You know, maybe he makes a full recovery from his injury, um, plays that out, and then he signs. I don't know, a, th- a three or four year contract after that. That's more along the lines of what he's looking for. Um, it's just hard, man. Like. There's a, there's a lot of teams out there that have the point guard that want. Um, so I, I just, it's it's tough. I, I honestly just don't know. Yeah. I, it, it's going to be interesting because we know Kevin Durant staying, LeBron stuff's obviously going to be interesting, but what happens to Isaiah and what kind of deal he signs, it uh, it's definitely something that I'm going to be monitoring uh, this summer. It's, it's going to be fun, but the other stuff with the Lakers. So Brandon Ingram's dealing with a nagging injury, so he'll be out for a little bit longer. Um, Kyle Kuzma's kind of cooled off. He had a really hot start. I mean, he's a rookie, so we should have expected this, but it's interesting that like he's cooling off and Lonzo's heating up, which shows us everything we need to know about rookies in the NBA, where it's just yeah. it's so hard to put together a consistent full season. And it, uh, I don't know. like It's just so weird that they or 17 and eight since January 6th, because you just look at this roster and you look at who's been playing and who's getting the majority of their minutes and where their production is coming from. And it's just Luke Walton. Maybe he should get thrown into coach of the year dealing with the ball family, dealing with uh, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ingram, turning into a playmaking wing who might become little Kawhi. Like, I don't know, man, like maybe that's somebody we should be talking about. Like Julius Randall, sudden like even though he's probably not going to come back in another free agent this summer that we should both be 
watching as like, what does this guy get? Because he's just been so interesting on this team and been really productive. Um, but yeah, like it's pretty remarkable. And I wonder how much of it has to do with the fact that this team has absolutely no reason to tank because they don't have their lottery pick this year. Maybe that's a big factor too. in them playing hard, even though they're out of the playoff chase, like we have nothing to lose. Um, there's no point in tanking. So we're going to keep going forward. And KCP is going to keep jacking up 19 threes a game. Brooke Lopez is going to keep doing whatever it is that Brooke Lopez does at this point in his career. And you know, it's working right now. It is working. And I think, first of all, you know, Ingram taking the step that he, the leap that he has, um, that makes a huge difference because it kind of, you know, kept them afloat when Lonzo Ball was out. But I also think, even at the start of the season, I wrote, I wrote a long piece on Sporting News um, last month, kind of breaking down what we've seen from Lonzo Ball so far. Um, and even when, he was play- when, even when he was shooting badly, he was still doing things that made a huge difference to the team. Um, he's this kind of guy that even when his shot is not falling, he pushes the pace in transition. He keeps the ball moving on offense. Um, he's a versatile defender who can kind of switch multiple positions and get in the passing lanes and things like that. Like he does things, it sounds cliche, but he does things that help teams win games. Um, so you add that back into the mix when he came back from his injury, he's been playing well, he's actually shooting better now. Um, and I think all those things add up and you have, you know, a team that you're right. Like they, they've got nothing to lose. They're going to play hard. Um, it probably helps that it is the end of the season when teams, you know, some teams aren't playing hard as they, they were early in the season and they're tanking and everything like that. Um, but there's no doubt, like, they, they have a talented team, they play hard, um, they play smart, and, you know, that can, that can win some, some games. And then, you know, like, they trade, like, the Cavs trade where they move Jordan Clarkson and um, Larry Nance, you could have seen their season fall apart after that, but they've actually been better. And it actually, like, kind of invigorated them. And those kind of trades, you never know how it's going to impact the team. But, like, this front office, I think Rob Palinka and Magic deserve a lot of credit for this kind of season because they, this first round, this might have been the best first round ever for this, like, Lakers team. Like, if you look at top to bottom, I know that sounds a little hyperbolic, but, like, the fact that Josh Hart is a legit 3 and D guy shooting 40% from three this year. You have Kyle Kuzma, who is fourth in minutes per game for this team. And, I mean, obviously we know what he can do from three, and he looks like a stretch for the future. And then you have Lonzo Ball, too, who looks like he's going to be a starter. I mean, they had three picks. They nailed every single one from, like, the top of the first to the back end of the first round. Like, I I don't know. It's just really impressive that all three of these guys have hit for them. Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, Lonzo Bull's going to be great. I agree with you that I, I, I still don't know if he's... I still don't know if he's going to be this kind of transcendent talent um, or this franchise-changing player. Um, I think he's going to be a fantastic player. I think he's going to be a player that contributes to, to winning at the highest level. Um, but I still don't know about that, but you're right. I think they knocked, they knocked that pick out of the park. Getting Kuzma where they did, another great pick. Um, I don't know quite where he'd fall in rookie of the year rankings, um, but he's sure he's got to be like top four, right? Um, yeah. uh, I mean, he was great at the start of the season. He hits the rookie I have an wall. Idea. Happens to... yeah, go ahead. What if we just gave the Lakers first round picks rookie of the year? Like as a Ooh. collective. He... You know, you know, seventy sixers fans and jazz fans are gonna hate you for that, though, right? Okay, the jazz fans need to. Uh, I'm about to annoy some jazz fans. Uh, are we really debating whether or not Ben Simmons has been is not rookie of the year? Like Donovan Mitchell's been great, but Ben Simmons is just 
I'm not going to make the mini LeBron comparisons, but like just watching the Cavs Sixers game and what Ben Simmons does, even in year one, and just how comfortable he is and how just dominant and how just unique and just how he just stuffs the sh- that sheet and everything else. Like Donovan Mitchell's cool, but like what's his upside? Like, is he going to be a top 15 point guard in this league? I don't know. It's a very point guard heavy league. But if you look at what Ben Simmons does, like I, I just, I think he's going to be a superstar and he's just played like one in year one. I, I just, Ben Simmons is rookie of the year. I, I, Donovan Mitchell's fine. I like him. He's going to be good. But I just, I don't know. There's a lot of Kemba stuff to Donovan Mitchell. Is that is that a hot take that he feels kind of like Kemba to me? I, I think so. Here's the thing, right? I think I think Ben Simmons should win rookie of the year. Okay, However, we're on the same also, page there. I also think that I, I do think there is a case we made for Donovan Mitchell, though. Like, I don't okay. think this is a foregone conclusion. Um, personally, I don't think like I don't think Ben it's like a foregone conclusion that did. Um, I think you actually have to like. I, I think there is a case we made for Mitchell. I think he's done fantastic. Um, it kind of hurts his case, I think, a little bit that the Jazz um, are not in the playoff race right now, although they're only one game behind uh, the Nuggets, I believe. I think they're 10th seed. I think they're one game behind the 8th seed. Um, but Mitchell's been fantastic. Um, and also, I think, you know, even if he does end up as, like, a Kemba Walker uh, 2.0 or something like that, that's still an all-star with, what, the... I can't remember what pick he was in the draft now. The, the 13th 15th, pick? I think. Was it? 15th pick? I think he's, like, 15th um, or 13th, something like that. I think Donovan Mitchell's legit. Like, I think he's the kind of number one option on a playoff team every single year. Um, I think there's some Damian Lillard to him. Um, I yeah. think he's going to be awesome. Okay. Maybe that's the best case scenario. Is best case, he's Damian Lillard. Worst case, he's Kemba. Which is still a really good player, and you nailed it at 15 if that's what you got there. But I just think Ben Simmons, even though it's kind of cheating because he's been in the league for a year already, but it just, I don't know. Like I don't know how you could watch Ben Simmons at this point and not be like, oh yeah, that guy's rookie of the year. That he's incredible. He, he looks. Ben Simmons looks like a vet. It, it's it's incredible. Um, on both ends of the floor, uh, you know, he is a rookie. He obviously was drafted last year, so he did have a rookie. Uh, his you know a year in the NBA before actually playing. Um, but the way he reads the floor on offense, the passes he makes, um, how he picks and chooses his scoring opportunities. I mean, this guy doesn't have a jump shot, and I don't I don't know if he. Um, still leads the league in, score, in points scored in the paint, um, but I know he did for a long time. And like he's, you know, without a jump shot, he's putting the numbers up. He did. That's a testament to how smart he is, how he reads the game. Um, and he's also been a really good defender this year. Um, yeah. You know, all these concerns about his. I mean, he he didn't play with this kind of intensity on defense in college. Um, you know, there were a lot of concerns on that on that end of the floor coming into the NBA and everything like that. Um, and what he kind of do because he doesn't have long arms, he can't protect the rim. But like. I mean, he can switch one through four. Um, he was going with Braun the other night. He can he can match up with point guards because he's so big and athletic. Uh, I mean, he's he's a real deal, and he he's kind of that Giannis type. That's like if he ever gets a jump shot, which I don't know if he will. Uh, it's entirely possible that he goes his entire career without you know a knockdown jump shot. Um, but he's also this guy who doesn't really need it, um, provided I think you know as long as he has the right players around. I think he's. As great as he is, you know, Joel Embiid is, is the perfect sense to pair with him. Because um, I think when you look at, like, when you have a point guard who can't shoot or a lead guard who can't shoot, um, I think if you have a five who's comfortable playing away from the basket, that kind of cancels it out. Um, and that's not to say Ben Simmons wouldn't be the rookie of the year if he didn't have Joel Embiid. I just think that's, you know, that's 
that's helped them out in a big way. That's fair. Maybe we can give the Lakers first round picks like the honorable mention rookie of the year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you can give okay. it to them if you want. I'm just saying, you're going to have a lot of angry people. <laughs> well, not a lot because I, I feel like a third of the NBA is just Laker fans. So that's, there will be that's a contingent. True that's a good point. Dude, they opened up the broadcast. If you watched the the Lakers broadcast um, when they played the Hawks at Phillips Arena uh, about a week ad- about a week or two ago, they called it like Staples Center East, and it it was just funny because they're right. Like, there's just so many Lakers fans in the city, and just it was just covered in purple and gold. And I I don't know. I think a third of the NBA fan base is Laker fans, so I think they will be happy from uh, this idea. I just. It just seems very rare. I I now kind of want to do a deep dive into like teams with multiple first round picks where it's like they had a number two pick and they had a high lottery pick, um, either a late lottery pick or a late first round. And then the last pick of the first round, they also hit, which seems like that never happens. That's like the Manu Ginobili territory. And they hit there with Josh Hart. I just think they deserve a lot of credit for both developing these three, but also just like nailing three first round picks like that because all three figure to be solid at worst solid to above average rotation pieces, which just seems pretty, pretty rare. And uh, yeah, I'm just giving them credit. The Lakers don't get enough credit over um, the course of their franchise. I don't think a lot enough people talk about them and give them enough credit as a franchise. So I want to be the first to step up to the plate and give the Lakers the attention that they, they deserve. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people just, I think you're right. There's, there's, there's a huge portion of NBA fans who are Lakers fans, um, but it seems like the people who aren't Lakers fans uh, really dislike the Lakers. So I think when they go through phases like this, where they're not, you know, championship contenders or even playoff contenders, they kind of revel in the fact that they're not as good. Um, and then it doesn't get spoken, you know, it doesn't get the attention that they do to them. Because I think you're right. They, they, they've nailed these picks. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens this summer. If they can get uh, you know, the two free agents that they're looking for. Um, but even if they don't, like, they have a nice young core to work with. They have something they can build with. They can have something they can add to. Um, and, I mean, it's it's trending upwards. And I think given their draft uh, pick situation and everything like that, um, it's not going to hurt them as much. I mean, okay, maybe that's not true. Not having a draft pick <laughs> this year um, is going to suck regardless. But... Yeah. That that doesn't hurt you as much if, as you said, you nail every single pick that you had in the draft in, in the year before, um, and all of those players end up being rota- rotational players for your team. Um, so that, that makes, it, I mean, it's a huge difference. Yeah, I I agree, and I think it's gonna be interesting to see what they do this summer without that pick. And of course, the Sixers are probably gonna get it unless it's like, what is it? Is it? it has to go like number two, number three for the Lakers or for the uh, Celtics to get it. And everything else goes to the Sixers, I think. So Sixers will of course have another lottery pick, even though they're probably gonna make playoffs. So things keep looking up for the Sixers and we'll see what happens to the Lakers. But um, last thing we briefly touched on Frank Nilakina moving to the two. The Knicks are suddenly really interesting to watch because I mean, even though Beasley is now out of the starting rotation, so I don't know why you would watch them at this point, but still Manuel Moutier, He's weirdly fun. I don't like he's been like the worst real plus minus point guard in the NBA this year, I think still. And I think that's still the case, but he uh, was an interesting under the radar, just throw shit at the wall and see what happens guy for the Knicks. And, you know, maybe it will work 
I think they should try it. And if you're going to move Frank to the two, because he is shooting, I believe, let me look at the numbers. He is, yes, shooting negative 17% from the field this year. So moving him away from the league guard role is maybe the better idea. But like, it's amazing that we didn't think about this earlier where Marcus Smart was a lottery pick. And I mean, the Celtics found a way to use him where it's like they used multiple point guards. Remember when they were running that three-man group of Rondo, Bradley, and Marcus Smart? Yeah. It was really fun and weird at the time. But like we should have thought about that with Frank Nilakina on the Knicks of just like, why do we assume that he has to be the point guard of the future and has like they like what if he is just another guard? Like he could be like the Bulldog type that the Knicks could use. And we've seen how valuable Marcus Smart is when he missed several games um, this season, what happened to the Celtics team when they didn't have him. Like, obviously, he's still a terrible shooter, but that doesn't mean he doesn't contribute in meaningful ways in basketball games. So I think if Nilakino like, turns into a version of Marcus Smart, I think that's still a win for the Knicks. Yeah, I, I generally think I have two chances of this. I think, first of all, um, NBA positions are so fluid nowadays that like we get caught up in labeling players, point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, power forward senses, etc. Um, but there's there's far more broad categories nowadays. So I think you have you know like lead ball ball handlers, secondary playmakers, shooters, all that kind of thing. Um, so I think you know calling him a shooting guard like when that report came out, people freaked out about it. I don't think that necessarily. Um, yeah is quite as big a deal as people are making out to be. So that, that was my first thing. The second thing is, though, I do understand where Nick fans are coming from by being upset about this, because at this point in the season, Paul Zingas is done for the season. They have no reason to be uh, competitive, right? So I think like they're not losing anything by giving Cranky the ball for the rest of the season and just well, letting him do whatever and figuring it out. Um, and I think the argument for that, um, I mean, he's not the same player as Lonzo Ball, but Lonzo Ball really struggled at the start of the season, but the Lakers were 100% committed to him and had faith in him, um, and that never wavered. And then you see yeah. at this point in the season, he kind of hits his stride, um, and then he becomes more like the player that we thought he would be. Um, I'd be very interested to see, you know, if the Knicks were just like, hey, we're going to give Frankie the ball. He's going to be our quote-unquote lead, lead guard or ball handler, whatever you want to say it. Um, I do wonder if that would be a better situation right now um, than trying to play him next to Moutier. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the history of the Knicks over the last few years and just being kind of hesitant about how they're developing players and everything like that. Um, but the other argument is, like, you're right. You, you try everything you can because this guy is still so young. He's still so raw. Um, and you just put him in a bunch of different positions on the floor. You see what he's capable of. And then you build from that because who he is right now or over the next 20 games is not the player he's going to be in five years' time. Um, so maybe you just try everything. They've, they've tried him to lead ball handler. Uh, maybe you move him off the ball now for a few games and see how he does like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it is difficult to kind of people freak out about labeling him as a shooting guard. And then the fact that you are taking the ball out of his hands, like I can understand why people are upset about that. Um, it's just, I mean, there's only... Time will tell, I guess, right? It's just, it's it's not necessarily the easiest situation, but um, yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and I think it's just, we got to get rid of those just adjectives in front of the word guard and like just power forward, small forward, shooting guard. It's just like, 
if he is a second guard or he's just a secondary ball handler, like that doesn't mean he's not <laughs> they he's a bust or anything. Like it's one of those things where like if that is where he's more comfortable and if the best course of action is pairing him with a offensive juggernaut like Marcus Smart works so well next to Kyrie because Kyrie is such a different player than him and Kyrie can put so much effort into the offensive side of the floor because his usage is outrageous and he's having to do a lot and asking him to be a, at least a passable defender is difficult when you're having to do so much on offense to keep your team afloat a la James Harden the last couple of years in Houston where the thing you forget is like when your usage is that high it's really hard to be a plus defender and also be the main factor and main cog on a really efficient top 10 offense like that's really asking a lot unless you're like LeBron and maybe Ben Simmons will probably get there honestly but it's just really really difficult to pull off and maybe that's just the way the Knicks should look at things is like I don't think Moutier is going to be the answer long term but maybe he's like their Terry Rozier has like their third like a backup point guard like because I don't think Trey Burke as much as we've joked about it what I've seen is I don't think you want to keep him around long term like he's fine but if you transition Moutier just because there's still so much talent and he's still so raw too that like if you want to keep him around at a cheap deal maybe you can develop him into a good third guard um, who runs the second unit that kind of thing but what if you just find in the draft like Trey Young I like whoever it is like find someone next to Nilakina where they are an offense first lead guard who will gel really well next to Nilakina because I think it's going to be hard for him to be the lead guard on a good team because of just the way the point guard position is um, being played in today's NBA where it's kind of like that Dennis Schroeder zone and the Alfred Payton types where it really does scare you if you're a fan of a team that has a point guard who can't shoot because if you look around the league, those teams are not good. So if Nilakina has to be a secondary playmaker and defend the team's best guard and that kind of thing, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think maybe with what we've seen this year and it's 35% from the floor shooting percentage, like I think that makes a lot of sense. I think Jeff Hornacek moving him over, even if it's just giving Moutier more reps at the league guard spot and Trey Burke, I don't think that's going to hurt his development because Maybe that's what he should be developing into is the two guard of the future for this team that does all the little things and keeps this team going and pushes them towards the playoffs. And I think that probably goes back to, um, you know, this, this idea of positions and kind of how, um, well, you know, point guards and shooting guards in the past and things like that, that's kind of result. Cause I think um, you look at a guy like Paul Zingas, it remains to be seen how he comes back from this injury um, you know, he carries a huge load offensively um, and he probably carried too big of a load offensively this year, but the offense is going to run primarily through him um, because he's such a unique talent. Um, and he's this kind of guy who can, he's an improved, you know, he needs to improve his passing in the post, but he, he can post, he can dribble ball, he can pick and pop. So what you need around him is, you know, Nilakina can fit into that by being, you know, a secondary ball handler. Um, and I think if he never becomes this kind of guy who's, you know, a sniper from three-point range or anything like that, you can pair him with a point guard, like you said, Trey Young. Um, and while that, that kind of looks funky on paper, maybe, um, because you have a shooting guard who can't necessarily shoot, um, and you have a point guard who likes to shoot a lot of threes, that's not weird, but you know what I mean? Um, and then you have, a, yeah. like, a playmaking pool like Paul Zingas. Like, that looks weird compared to how teams were constructed five or ten years ago. 
Um, but as long as you put the right pieces around them and you have guys who can kind of cover up other people's weaknesses, um, I, I think it, it can work. Um, and it goes back to the whole, like, uh, Ben Simmons thing. Ben Simmons is, you know, completely different to what we've seen a point guards in the past. Um, but you provide, you put him in a, in a situation where uh, he's surrounded by players who can, um, you know, highlight his strengths or compliment him on offense and then make up his weaknesses. Um, and, and it just allows him to, to play the way that he's always wanted to play um, and kind of play free and kind of spread his wings and things like that. Um, so, you know, Nilotina is not obviously to the level of Ben Sims or anything like that, but um, I think there is an element to that. To, you know, they've got to make sure that how they're building this team, um, they kind of keep everyone's strengths and weaknesses in mind and their tendencies and things like that. Because um, it can work. It just, you know, it doesn't make, it doesn't, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to build a team around players like that, but like it, it can definitely work. But we already know it's not going to work because it's the Knicks and this is going to end badly. KP is going to ask out in a year or two. Nilakina is going to flourish on the Spurs or something and they will be starting over five years from now and this whole conversation will be for nothing. But, you know, we can't do that. You never know, I guess, with the Knicks, but um, we'll see. Scott, this has been a lot of fun as always. Thank you so much for taking the time, sir. Thank you very much. It's always fun. All right, well, we can find you on Twitter at Crab Dribbles. We can read you at thestepback.com. We can read you at Sporting News. We can read you at Dime on Uprox and everywhere else. Is there anything, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Is there anything else that you're working on that's going to come out this week that we should check out? Um, I don't know. I'm working on a couple things right now. I have um, a breakdown of the most improved uh, award race, and I have, I'm working on playing on uh, Darren Fox. Um, kind of his strengths Ooh. and weaknesses and what kind of player he, he could be. So um, that's probably going to be over the next, like... Um, get a sneak preview of the most improved. Who should we watch out for? Uh, I mean, Victor Oladipo is a front runner. There's no doubt about it. Okay. I think he... I, 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 he To me, he's like what the James Harden is to the MVP award. Like, I think it's by yeah. far and away his to lose. Um, although I think, you know, this case to be made for other people. Um, Andre Drummond has made some big improvements to his game this season. Um, mm. DeMar DeRozan has um, by becoming more willing to punch shooter and a bit of passer. Yeah. Um, guys like Clint Capella, Stephen Adams. Um, so I kind of I, I I make the case for all those guys, but um, even so, I think it's it's old people to 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 lose at this point. Do you know who my MIP is right now? Who? Bradley Beal. Yeah, he's another good candidate. I mean. That's the thing about MIP is you can make a case with so many different players. Yeah. Um, but I just think that like, on... when we think about Oladipo and like what he's done, it's obvious like we what we saw in OKC versus what we've seen in Indiana, it's like two different players. And it's great. Oladipo being awesome in Indiana is awesome because I like it when the Pacers are good and he looks like someone who's going to be an all-star for several years. But like, who would you rather have after watching like Bradley Beal a lot this year and Oladipo a lot? Like, it's Bradley Beal, right? Like we all would agree it's Bradley Beal. And just, I watched that entire uh, Wizards Bucks game the other night and just with him without wall and just finding ways like Sadoransky has been great, but like Beal is so good. And he was, I think he had like 14 in the first quarter and just the way he commands things and the shooting stroke is so great. And he is just, he's dominant. And it's just, I think it's interesting that he's like gone to the next level under the radar because he has really kept this Wizards team afloat without wall for so much of the season that uh i don't know i think he deserves more love it's my guy is i i really love bradley beal and i love watching him play basketball so i think he would be my pick 
Hey, but the Pacers have uh, a slight lead over the Wizards in the standings right now. They're, the Pacers are number, are they number are they three? Are they ahead of the Wizards right now? They are. They are the number four seed. They have a .5 game lead over the Wizards, although I think last time I checked, they were losing to the Jazz um, by double figures tonight, but that could be changed. Well, that could have changed by now. But either way, I think it's incredible that, I mean, to me... Can we the, get Oladipo that, versus Bradley Beal in the first round, a 4-5 hey, matchup? That would be fun. Right? Yeah. That would be fun. And then we could all be like, oh yeah, Bradley Beal is a much better player than Victor Oladipo. What were we doing? <laughs> yeah, but I think... I, the thing is, like, I, I, I agree. Beal has been incredible this season. Um, and especially, I, I think it's easy to kind of... Just generally, when we, when we talk about most improved, we, we look at players who... Um, have jumped statistically. Like, you increase your points per game, rebounds, all that kind of stuff. Um, but with a guy like Beal, to your point, like, he's made genuine improvements to his game, um, and it is showing, we may not have seen it to this extent had Wall been healthy, but it is very, very clear um, now that Wall is out, like, how much his game has improved. Um, you know, he, he looks so much more comfortable with the ball in his hands, creating plays for himself. He's passing more. He he's is. And that's like, the he's averaging 23, 4, and 4. Like, he's just elevated his game, I think. Yeah, and I think that's kind of stuff that you do look for most improved. Um, just for me, though, I think, I, I mean, I think that there is a narrative element to these awards, right? And I think when you look at Old Depot um, and what everyone, including myself, was saying at the time, um, in that the Pacers, you know, they, they, they made a bad deal in training Paul George for the bonus and, and Old Depot. Um, and then Old Depot has become an all star caliber player out of. No way. We thought, I think a lot of people thought he would be this kind of player when he was really drafted. Um, but his first four or five seasons didn't go quite as planned, and it didn't seem like he was going to be this player. Uh, and now he is, and now he's doing on a team that is in the playoff race, could have home court advantage. And I think um, just all the changes he's made to his game, and even things like, I think um, in, in the piece I write about this, and I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, um, but it's something like he attempted 45 pull-up threes last season the entire season with the Thunder. Um, and this season, even with like 15, 20 games left, he's made like 60 or 65 pull-up threes. Um, oh, wow. And he does so that a lot. From... If you watch the Pacers, he loves to pull up three. He loves the Pooch. Exactly. And that completely transformed his game because um, be, being able to hit that shot, uh, it turns him into a three-level score out of the pick-and-roll, which is where he scores most of his points. Um, and he's one of the best pick-and-roll scores in the NBA this season. And he's scoring as many points as Kyrie and Russell Westbrook in a pick-and-roll. Um, so Isn't I think Damian like, Lillard leading that right now? Um, he could be. I, I can't remember. I see it off my head. Um, but I, I just think, like, from top to bottom, the narrative, um, what would be posed, like, how he's changed his game from last season, how he's taken on this new challenge, what he's done to the paces. Um, to me, I think he is a front runner for it. But certainly, I mean, you can make a case for so many guys. Bill definitely deserves the attention. Um, and that's kind of my plan with these articles. It's like, I do think all people will win it, but, like, here are guys who yeah. also deserve... Um, some love for this because like they have changed their games and it does make a huge difference to them and their teams. Perfect. Well, check that out. It's going to be great because all of Scott's stuff is great. But anyway, sir, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, let's talk again soon. Yes, of course. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, Scott. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcast or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, 
Google Play or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.